This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Another targeted hit in a public place. We are coming after you. We are coming after every single one of you. The advantage shooters have that helps them get away. Documents support allegations of mismanagement at long-term care homes. It's just very confusing and I don't know where the failure came from. The change in policy that hid COVID outbreaks. And the U.S. law that could kill B.C.'s cruise ship industry. It would have a devastating impact. Why American ships could end up sailing right past our ports. You're watching Global B.C. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Seven seconds. That's how long it took to end the life of a 23-year-old man last night in South Burnaby. Jaskirt Kalkat was shot to death in a car just meters from a busy patio where families were eating. The latest casualty in the ongoing gang war. Police have been on scene at Market Crossing all day and that's where Ramina Dea is for us tonight. Ramina, what's the latest? Chris, once again, it is shocking that an innocent bystander was not hurt. The sun was setting just past 8.30 last night when the Cactus Club patio here was packed along with other businesses in the area. That's when bullets started flying. Multiple shots fired. At least 20 rounds, children and parents on the patio of Cactus Club running for cover. They told us to duck out. So they told you to duck? Yeah. Officers pulled the body of 23-year-old gangster Jazkirt Kalkat from the bullet-riddled BMW. Two others in the vehicle, a man and woman, still alive. Their injuries, severe. IHIT believes all three were targeted. These guys are going to do this and you just don't want to be too close by when it happens. The white SUV screeching from the scene, matching the description of the torched vehicle dumped in Surrey. Another dead young man who was well known to police. Calcat's criminal history includes assault causing bodily harm and assault with a weapon. His sentence in 2019, probation and a firearms prohibition. 11 shootings in less than a month across Metro Vancouver. Nine dead. At least one innocent bystander hit. He survives. Reckless acts of violence in public places, endangering the lives of innocent people. Outside a busy toy store in Langley, a daycare in the same community, and Vancouver International Airport. Revenge, drugs, money fueling the gang war. I suppose you'll have to just take my word and just trust me when there is a lot of things being done, okay? But uh, we can't make that public, obviously, okay? The end goal is to put these people away, put them in a cold, cold jail cell for a very long time. 
The public safety minister trying to reassure the public that police are on top of crushing the violence, adding that four new prosecutors have been hired to deal directly with gang crimes. Legislative measures are also being considered to name and shame the players involved. Those are not empty words. The police are doing everything they can. They are doing a very difficult job. Uh, and they, uh, this is not a resource issue. Uh, and so they are working together. That's what's critical in terms of dealing with this. It's not a case of silos. There's total and complete collaboration taking place. So I think that's what the public should have confidence in. Now, almost 24 hours later, police are still on scene here gathering evidence. IHIT is saying that there is crucial evidence that the public can help with tonight. They say that the fastest route from here to where the SUV was dumped in Surrey, that white vehicle you saw in the story, is going on Highway 91, then to Highway 99, and then east on 16th Avenue. Sergeant Jang is asking the public to please come forward with any dash cam video. Back to you. Let's hope there's some out there. All right, thanks, Romina. Well, the pandemic has provided an unforeseen benefit for some of these gangsters. With the use of face masks now mandatory, it's easier for a disguised gunman to just blend in with the crowd. That's according to a former gang squad officer and criminologist who tells Catherine Urquhart these pandemic circumstances are making some gangsters bolder than ever before. On May 1st, outside Delta Scottsdale Mall, surveillance video shows a suspected gunman linked to the killing of 29-year-old Bikram Deeprandawa, a provincial corrections officer. The shooter is wearing a mask. One week later, another masked gunman is captured on video near 13th Avenue and 6th Street in Burnaby. 19-year-old Blurton Tony Delipi is killed. A suspect is arrested soon after. A former gang squad officer who teaches at SFU and Kwantlen University believes masks are contributing to the brazenness of gangsters. Now with the fact that uh, they can uh, wear a mask, hoodie, walk up to somebody, that increases their ability to get close to somebody and therefore be more successful in shooting them and killing them. Around the world, police agencies are reporting that criminals are taking advantage of mandatory mask wearing, something that can present an extra hurdle for investigators trying to solve these cases. It does really make uh, video evidence a lot more challenging because uh, they're, they're masked up and they're, they're essentially wearing a disguise. New facial recognition technology can sometimes identify a person even if they are wearing a mask. It works by honing in on parts of the face that aren't covered up, such as an individual's eyes. That's if a face isn't covered entirely and if an image is clear. For now, mandatory face masks present yet another obstacle for investigators as they try to end this surge in Metro Vancouver gang violence. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Of course, police are encouraging gangsters to turn themselves in before they get killed. And efforts to dissuade kids from joining the gang life are more important than ever. Local organization Kids Play includes former gangsters in a race to get kids on the right path before the criminals recruit them. Nadia Stewart reports. As gang violence in the Lower Mainland escalates, there are growing concerns around who is being drawn into the mayhem. 
for all the wrong reasons. It's absolutely tremendous. I mean, this it blows my mind every single time because now they are beginning to recruit as early as grades six and seven. Kyle DeSange is the founder of Kids Play Foundation, an organization engaging Metro Vancouver youth, trying to keep them from being sucked into gang life. Many of the kids, he says, coming from middle to upper class families. This country, you gotta make the money first. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then when you get the power, then you get the woman. You have that glorified, romanticized, scar-faced lifestyle that comes with it. They want the cars, the girls, the suits, the clubs, the watches, the belts. They want everything that comes with that lifestyle. But more importantly, the, the power and the status and the intimidation factor. The high-speed chase behind me. But appearances are deceiving. Holy there's gunshots. There have been 11 shootings in less than a month each one more brazen than the one before it. But DeSange says the young people he meets know the consequences and still are not deterred. They'll look me in the face, dead eye, and basically say, we know it comes with the territory. That's the nature of the beast. You live by the sword, they die by it. They'll throw these cliche lines towards me, not understanding the full impact, depth, and scope of living that lifestyle until it's too late. There is, he says, no Band-Aid solution, only a long-term one, a joint effort to get the kids early before it's too late. Nadia Stewart, Global News. All right, moving to some good news on the COVID-19 front. B.C. has recorded its lowest daily total of cases in nearly two months. We have 494 new cases confirmed over the last day. That brings our total number of cases to more than 138,000. There have been two more COVID-19 deaths in the past 24 hours. 387 people are now in hospital, the first time we've seen fewer than 400 in hospital in a month. 141 patients are being treated in the ICU. And there are more than 5,500 active cases right now in our province. B.C. healthcare officials are on the defensive once again, though, over their handling of COVID-19 outbreaks at long-term care homes. That's after an explosive report suggesting the so-called enhanced surveillance policy was a failure that might have cost people their lives. Aaron MacArthur reports. 41 seniors died at Little Mountain Place. COVID-19 ripped through the facility, infecting more than 85% of everyone who lived here. Yet it started with one staff member. Documents obtained by the South China Morning Post show it took days before an outbreak was declared. And during that time, uh, group meals continued, communal activities continued, visits continued, all of those high-risk activities. In November, the protocol for declaring an outbreak was changed. One low-risk staff infection wasn't considered enough to force all residents into isolation. Instead, health authorities implemented what is known as enhanced monitoring. Documents obtained through a Freedom of Information request show 42 care homes suffered subsequent outbreaks. More than 1,000 people infected. 192 people died, including... Bernadette Chung's grandmother. If we had known earlier, then we could have made decisions like maybe removing my grandmother from the facility. And But we had no idea what was going on for two weeks. The provincial health officer says the change was made in November to avoid being overly cautious. There were many, many cases where there were uh, low-risk healthcare worker exposures. Many of those, most of those, did not result in an outbreak. What's alarming... The policy change came just before the height of the second wave in the fall of last year. 
Long-term care providers say the inconsistency was made worse by the refusal to test more broadly. This stubborn refusal to recognize asymptomatic transmission and the need to do more surveillance testing of asymptomatic uh, residents and staff is baffling. COVID-19 exacted a heavy toll on seniors in care across North America last fall, but the government's own data shows how this one policy change led to more severe outbreaks in BC care homes. Enhanced monitoring, still the policy across BC's five health authorities. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Concern is growing for a UBC professor who's gone missing on one of the Gulf Islands. As Paul Johnson reports, the accomplished educator left home on Salt Spring Island Wednesday afternoon to reportedly run some errands, but hasn't been seen since. Dozens of searchers Friday continued to scour the heavily wooded areas in and around Salt Spring Island's Mount Erskine Provincial Park, searching for any sign of Seneca Elliott, the UBC professor and mother of two, missing since Wednesday afternoon. She went out on an errand and she's been missing since. Guy Stecklove is the head of UBC's sociology department, where Elliot is well known for her work on inequality. Recently, she co-authored a book about the struggle some families face to cook at home. Respected and admired, her colleagues are shocked by her disappearance. We are very distressed that she's missing and uh, we are hoping that everyone... That anyone that has any information uh, that can be of assistance could please help provide it. The RCMP says 50 to 75 people have been involved in the search so far, supported by helicopter, boat, and a canine unit. Their main challenge is the dense bush in the area. Elliot's car was found Wednesday on a road in the Mount Erskine area. She reportedly has a home on Salt Spring that she's frequently at when not at UBC. The search is expected to continue until dark Friday and then into the weekend. Paul Johnson, Global News. Vancouver police are apologizing tonight for wrongfully arresting a well-known retired B.C. judge. Retired Judge Selwyn Romilly was the first black person named to B.C. Supreme Court. Today, while walking along the seawall, he tells Global News he was approached by five officers and placed in handcuffs for officer safety. The officer said Romilly, who is in his 80s, matched the description of a man who had been reportedly screaming and yelling at people and attempting to kick them. The suspect was described as a dark-skinned man about 40 or 50 years old. The retired judge had a long and distinguished career, but is best known for presiding over the Rena Verk kelly Ellard case. He says he was embarrassed by today's incident, but doesn't plan to file a complaint and says he hopes it doesn't happen again. Well, the VPD are asking for the public's help to identify those involved in a pair of troubling acts targeting a foreign consulate. On March 22nd, a man parked his Ford Escape in front of the Chinese consulate at Granville and 16th, then proceeded to spit on the plaque of the consul general and throw a drink on it. He then took a hammer to the plaque. The suspect is described as being in his 70s. The second incident happened early April 4th. Another man wearing a Batman hoodie and Crocs walks up to the front gate of the consulate and spray paints CCP go home. He has a heavy build and is believed to be in his 30s. Both of these acts are disrespectful and intolerable and it's something that as a police force we don't tolerate and we will be actively and are continue to actively investigate these. 
When an employee attempted to leave the property, the first suspect blocked the vehicle and spat on it while also berating the driver. An American law that could end up costing the B.C. economy billions. The sinking fortunes of our already crippled cruise ship industry could get even worse if we have to watch passengers sail right past. That's next on the News Hour. A teenager takes years to finally fulfill his dream, riding every route on the Toronto transit system. Coming up on the News Hour. Right now, though, new legislation passed by the U.S. Senate could be a knockout blow for tourist-focused businesses in Victoria and Vancouver that were already reeling from the pandemic. Under the new rules, Alaska cruise ship season will go ahead this summer, but it will sail right past B.C. Kylie Stanton shows us the major economic hit to our province. Passengers pouring off ships greeted by Canadian flags. Thank you. Making their way to tourism operators ready and waiting. These were the pre-pandemic good old days. And now there's growing concern if a new bill passes south of the border, we may never get them back. The upshot is that bill uh, is intended to take away the requirement for cruise ships to stop in British Columbia on their way to Alaska. Bad news for the already hard-hit industry in Canada, sparking fears those itineraries could become the new post-pandemic status quo. You know, once this door's cracked open, you never know where it can go. So, you know, we are watching it really closely. Eliminating the BC stops would gut the sector that back in 2019 generated $2.7 billion for the BC economy. $1.3 $1.3 billion in direct spending and another $878 million in wages. To curb future losses, the industry is now floating the idea of technical calls, requiring the ships to come in, no one gets on or off, while the crew drops anchor for several hours before moving on to its destination. If Canada were to allow that, then this would make this whole legislation and the threat of the waiver being permanently removed, it would make that all null and void. But so far, the federal and provincial officials haven't backed the idea. As it stands, cruising in Canada won't resume until the end of February 2022. What's becoming more frustrating as other countries start opening up. If we're all going to be vaccinated by September, uh, why can't we... Uh, look forward to having some resumption of tourism before next year. The bill still needs to go through the House of Representatives and requires the president's sign-off before it goes into effect. But it seems to be gathering steam while our ports sit empty. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A significant escalation in the battle over the treatment of B.C.'s hotel workers during the pandemic. The province's largest labour organisation is calling for a boycott of two hotels and is pulling what it says is millions of dollars worth of business. Nitu Karaksha reports. The sounds of drumbeats in the air outside this Burnaby hotel. But this isn't a celebration. It's a cry for help, say union members now escalating their action to a full-on boycott. And they're planning on taking our pension and our benefits away eventually, and we can't stand by and let that happen. I know it's rare that the BC Fed would issue boycotts, but I think to... Um, show this employer that, you know, we mean business. A business built by the people. Many in this group still have their jobs but are standing in solidarity with the 97 permanently laid off here at Hilton Vancouver Metrotown. 
and the more than 140 let go here at Pacific Gateway in Richmond, like Pardeep Tandi, who got notice on Friday after 27 years as a housekeeper. I want uh, my job back. We are in anger right now because, you know, we don't have uh, money even uh, we can uh, buy some grocery or mortgage. But this owner have billion dollars, uh, but uh, still they can fire us. The BCTF and BCGEU among the affiliated unions now cancelling bookings and future events at both hotels, which will cost them up to $3 million in business annually, according to Unite Here Local 40. And they're calling on half a million members across the country to join the boycott. We felt like we are not valued after 20 years of service. Um, I think we brought this hotel to where it is in our community and then after that uh, just dispose of us like garbage. In a statement, the employer group said negotiations have been stalled, blaming the union for refusing to set further bargaining dates, adding that's the only way forward. But the hotels have tapped pandemic relief funds, exposing structural inequities that impact marginalized communities, says the group made up of mostly women. We are calling Justin uh, Trudeau to put pressure on the owners to uh, extend the recall rights of my co-workers. It doesn't cost them a cent to extend the recall rights. It's hypocritical for them to say uh, feminist recovery when this is happening in our hotel right now. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Rich Coleman recalled by the Cullen Commission to clear up some inconsistencies. Yeah, I totally understand and I probably misspoke a little bit too far. How the former minister once downplayed concerns about money laundering in B.C. casinos. Next. And later, the bombshell departure of Major General Denny Fortin and a major gap in Canada's vaccine distribution logistics. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Rich Coleman, once charged with overseeing BC's multi-billion dollar gambling industry, was in the hot seat again today. The last witness to appear before the Cullen Commission was asked about discrepancies between words he said as a politician a decade ago and his earlier testimony at the inquiry into money laundering in BC casinos. John Hua reports. Doubling down on Rich Coleman. Do you swear that the evidence you shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. The former B.C. Solicitor General and Minister responsible for gaming, recalled by the Cullen Commission on its final day of testimony. You're testifying under oath in a courtroom-like setting? Yes. Commission counsel questioned Coleman on his previous evidence that seemed to contradict public statements he made as minister in 2011 about shady cash entering B.C. casinos. Yeah, I totally understand, and I probably misspoke a little bit too far. Flashback to a decade ago, when a senior officer of the RCMP Proceeds of Crime Unit, Barry Baxter, told the media suspicious cash entering casinos didn't smell right. At the time, Coleman publicly spoke against those concerns. He did not agree with what I had said, and further that he had uh, spoken to my superiors and they agreed. 
with him. That comment conflicting with what Coleman first told the commission when he stated he did nothing in response to Baxter's comments. You didn't speak with others at RCMP? No, I did not. When questioned a second time around with his own words in front of him, Coleman admitted what he said in 2011 wasn't exactly true. Yeah, I probably went a little too far out with that answer. I mean, who were, you say, all of his superiors disagree with him? Who? Well, that was just a general comment. In fact, Coleman admitted no one from the RCMP ever told him Baxter was wrong. Still, he felt the senior police officer was making sweeping generalizations about cash and casinos, which also caught his government off guard. Perhaps uh, a little frustration over the fact that this was happening when I thought the, the... The person was in a position to know better. Considering the fact Coleman testified he was aware of police investigations that linked gangs to attempted money laundering in casinos, counsel asked the former minister one key question. Do you agree that this uh, amounts to downplaying or undermining those who are critical of the act and concerned about there being a money laundering problem in casinos? No, I wouldn't agree with that. John Hua, Global News. Still ahead, unlocking the mystery of Alzheimer's disease. I think this is a potentially viable hypothesis. And a potential breakthrough, understanding how a patient's own immune system might be to blame. Also, the new mask guidelines in the U.S. and why it's not easy to adjust. Join Global BC as we gene up this May to support BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Grab those genes, post that pic, and donate at geneup.ca. And let's help BC kids get out of their hospital gowns and back into their genes. Quite the bombshell today when we heard the head of Canada's vaccine rollout has stepped aside, now the subject of a military investigation. The details are still unclear. The military only saying right now that Major General Denis Fortin has left his assignment with the Public Health Agency of Canada pending results of an investigation. Fortin's move comes in the wake of a major scandal surrounding claims of sexual misconduct against Canada's former top soldier, General Jonathan Vance. And just two weeks ago, another top military official, Major General Peter Daw, was placed on leave from his position as the commander of Canadian Special Forces. There is some hope on the horizon for Canada's COVID-19 fight, according to our country's top doctor. Dr. Theresa Tam says the weekly average case count is 20% lower than last month's, showing that this country has passed the peak of the third wave. Meanwhile, the federal health minister says some public restrictions could be loosened by the summer if, and it's a big if, 75% of Canadians are able to get their first dose of the vaccine. Well, it is a day Canadians can only dream of at this point, but the U.S. is now into its first full day of mask-free life for fully vaccinated people. The new guidance brings Americans a step closer to freedom, but some are struggling to make sense of it. Global's Reggie Cicchini shows us why. It might feel like freedom for the 45% of Americans now fully vaccinated. I am so tired of masks. The decision to allow them to ditch face coverings puts them on a path towards a future filled with past joys from summer concerts to theme parks. They really do need to get the feel that we're approaching some form of normality. Normal, a word thrown around a lot with the end in sight. 
but after 15 months of masking, change for some might be difficult. Psychologically, it can take about 28 days to build any habit. It's going to take us just that long or maybe even longer to kind of unwind that habit. The new CDC guidance relies on the honor system. There's no easy way to tell who's vaccinated and who's not, meaning people who forego the advice could put vulnerable populations at risk, something the CDC says could prolong the pandemic. Ultimately, we know that this virus is an opportunist, and where there are low rates of vaccination, it will emerge again. What a trooper. States will move at their own pace to adapt the new guidance as vaccine numbers increase beyond the 265 million doses already delivered. Getting there is not going to be easy. But globally, the virus remains a firestorm, including in Canada, uncontrolled, partly due to vaccine accessibility. And some doctors say that puts America's momentum on the line. We're going to have to be laser focused, and that includes keeping our borders locked to some degree in order to keep this virus out once we've gotten to a certain level of containment. A reminder that there are currently more than 35,000 daily cases in the United States. Still, there are signs of life starting to reemerge. Post-pandemic party invitations now serving as a lesson and a powerful incentive. That the old times are new again for those who have protected themselves and others. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. A team of Canadian researchers has found new evidence that Alzheimer's could be an autoimmune disorder. That's a theory that would open the door for new treatments and give hope to millions. Global News health reporter Jamie Marocker has more. With an aging population, it's estimated 1 million Canadians will be diagnosed with dementia by 2030. Inside Toronto's Mount Sinai Hospital, researchers are trying to find the cause. Autoimmunity could be centrally uh, playing a role in the pathology of uh, Alzheimer's. Scientist Giannis Process says in some cases, aging or trauma appear to be triggering the immune system to attack healthy cells. Damage to the blood-brain uh, barrier can actually open the door for these immune cells to enter into the brain tissue and further speed up the destruction of certain neuronal cells. A theory piquing interest at the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. I'm very hopeful um, and uh, I think this is a potentially viable hypothesis. Certainly, Dr. Saskia Savanathan says up until now Alzheimer's research has been narrow and underfunded with Canada spending 40 million dollars a year on the lower end she says compared to other G7 countries. And no one survives dementia. It is one of the only diseases that has had no therapeutic breakthroughs in it over 16 years. And it's because our investment has been so poor in research. Adding the success rate of current clinical trials is just 0.4%. But Process says newer technology, which allows for more personalized treatment, is on their side. We are going to be able to read the different dynamic changes in the immune systems of individuals. And by tweaking them with appropriate immunomodulating agents, this is going to be a whole new revolution. Exciting developments for the future with the University of Toronto alongside other countries' research teams already replicating the study on a larger scale. Jamie Marocker, Global News. Just ahead, a magical ride for a big fan of mass transit. I wanted to ride every single regular bus route in Toronto before my 13th birthday. The teenager who ended up completing a journey he dreamed of since he was just a little kid. 
Also ahead in sports, a no-win argument for the Whitecaps. How it's hurting them on the pitch. Personally, I think you can never get enough Christy Gordon, but uh, the weather forecast could be about 10 seconds long tonight, I think, uh, <laughs> judging by this steady <laughs> pattern of weather. How are you doing, Christy? Yes. Uh, I'm great. Thanks so much. Yeah, you're right. Um, pretty simple forecast, that's for sure, for the weekend, everyone. Although there is one part of the province that's not looking so great. And I'll show you that. But uh, thank goodness that the patios on the restaurants are open because I'm sure they'll be full over the next little while. Here's a look at the temperatures for today. We were at 18 degrees at the airport, which is just slightly above seasonal for this time of year. And away from the water, reaching the low 20s. And you can expect these similar conditions again tomorrow out through the Fraser Valley, potentially up to that 24, maybe 25 degree mark as well. And the interior regions as well. Uh, Asuyus was the hotspot at uh, 27 degrees today. Now, here's a look at what we can expect for the North Coast though, region. Uh, periods of rain there. In fact, Dees Lake will start off with some snowfall and then it will change over to rain and that's going to shift into the Central Coast through the afternoon, or sorry, through Sunday morning and that's going to shift into our region on Monday. So it's just two days. Make sure you use it, everyone. There's your forecast for your Saturday with the rainfall across the north, gorgeous conditions across southern BC, but even hotter than what you saw today by another degree or two. UV index will be high or very high, so make sure you're protecting yourself. And as I mentioned, we are expecting rain once again on Monday, so make sure you use that weekend. Here's your central windows weather window from the Ralph Trevor Beach area. Uh, Parksville, thanks so much to Mark for that. He's a regular watcher, and that's a stunning shot. Sure is. Thanks, Christy. Such a pretty spot. All right, the Toronto Transit System is one of the largest in North America, and a Toronto boy made it his mission to ride every inch of it. Every bus route, train, and streetcar available, and he just completed the challenge, enjoying the ride, as always, with his dad by his side. Kayla McLean has his story. Most ride the TTC as a way to get from point A to point B, but not Ian Wellsman. He rides the Red Rocket. Uh, I would call it an adventure. For the challenge. I wanted to ride every single regular bus route in Toronto before my 13th birthday. And so he did. Not only riding bus routes, but every TTC route, including the subway and streetcar. 147 routes in total. And Ian reached his goal a week before his 13th birthday. I took the Sunnybrook bus to the hospital and back. When I got off, I just... Raised my hands in the air. It was a very happy day. To understand his excitement, you've got to understand his journey. So here we are. Ian and his father, Derek, began their TTC Adventure Challenge when Ian was only five. I've always had a fascination with transportation. When I was younger, I watched a lot of uh, Thomas the Tank Engine, and then every morning we'd go to daycare. Right now at St. George's station. I learned to say the stop names as they went by and so it's, it's kind of just come from there. So great is Ian's love for the TTC that he even penned a song about his favorite station. On SoundCloud, have a listen. And with Ian, he doesn't need a map to get around. After these adventures, he's got all the TTC routes mapped out in his head. We took the 125 Drury to Bathurst. 
160 Bathurst North Seals. He's a passionate guy. For Ian's dad, tagging along for the ride has meant not only discovering new places, but creating priceless memories with his son. Totally bonding experience. We, we refer back to uh, adventures that we've had. As soon as we get out onto a, a streetcar, all the stories start to come out again. As for whether a career with the TTC is on the horizon, Ian says he's still deciding. Sometimes I consider being a TTC driver. But first, he'll need to consider getting a summer job. The free rides are over, my boy. If he wants to keep up his transit adventures. Kayla McLean, Global News. And if you're curious, the total distance traveled by him over those years, 6,402 kilometers. Almost the distance across Canada. That cool. is amazing. Very cool. That is incredible. All right. Uh, Squire is here now. Are the Whitecaps okay? Are they going to be okay? <laughs> they are okay. They're hanging out in Utah. Actually, they have very good digs in Utah. The, uh, the team got everybody apartments and stuff, so some brought their pets with them as well. And uh, so far this year, the Whitecaps have defended their net very well. Um, it's a huge improvement from what we were in the past. But when they have been scored on, sometimes it's because they were distracted arguing. Also tonight, we'll dive right in to satellite debris. All right, Squire is here now with sports. Yes, I am. Thank you very much. Uh, the uh, Canucks have four games left in this season, and of course, they're in bizarro world now, where winning is losing and losing is winning because of the draft lottery. The more wins from here on out, the less chance you have to finish first or second in the draft lottery. Now, we should mention Seattle has the third best chance to win the lottery. We always forget about the Kraken, but they're in now. They are locked in to that third spot. Uh, okay, uh, playoffs. This is how it all sets up, and that's when the series begin. Actually, Montreal and Toronto is the latest series to start. It's a staggered start because of the Canucks COVID outbreak and all that. As you can see, the playoffs actually start tomorrow uh, when Boston and Washington begin their best of seven series. Vancouver Giants head coach Michael Dick has been named as an assistant coach for Team Canada at this year's World Hockey Championships, which will happen in Latvia. He'll help out uh, Canadian head coach Gerard Gallant. The tournament will begin May 21st. Dick, of course, was an assistant for our junior team at the past World Championships in Edmonton. And he was also the head coach for Canada at the 2019 Halinka Gretzky Cup, which is a U18 tournament. Well, Mark DeSantos, the Whitecaps coach, has a reason for why some of the goals have been allowed this year by his team. And it's a reason I have never heard before. It's really an original excuse. I'm not being facetious. It is. I won't tell you what it is right now. I'll let Barry do that. But I do want to remind you the Caps play Sunday at 11 a.m. our time against Sporting, and the game is on a.m. 7.30 with the pregame show starting at 10. All right. Let's hear about the Caps' defense and that unique excuse. May get it back on the right side of the box. He does. We'll try to cross that in right into the waiting arms of Max Grippo. Good defending from Andy Rose. For the most part, the Whitecaps have been very sound defensively this young season, and when they've had breakdowns, goalkeeper Max Grippo has been there to bail them out. The team has conceded just four goals in five matches. Last season, they gave up nearly two goals per game, this year averaging less than one. But it could be even better. On two of the four goals allowed this year, the Whitecaps were busy arguing with the referee. 
referee, distracting them from defending and ultimately costing them a goal against. It is Rubio to crack it. Oh, that's a great strike. Of the four goals that we conceded, two are goals that we are arguing or asking something to the referee. And we shouldn't stop until uh, the ref whistles. He takes the decision. And then uh, when the play is done, maybe then we could go to the referee and tell him, hey, this wasn't good enough. Hey, you have to wake up here, but not during the play. And uh, it comes a little bit with some immaturity uh, from from some players sometimes uh, in a certain position. And trust me that we did address that. We spoke about that. And hopefully we're going to do a better job in that. They fought the law and the law won. Medina's spirit wasn't running clean when he won the Kentucky Derby, but he will be in tomorrow's Preakness Stakes after the horse passed three drug tests this week that were... Uh, told to uh, trainer Bob Baffert he had to agree to, otherwise the horse wouldn't have been allowed to run in the race. Medina Spirit's positive test in the Derby is being... So they will take a portion of the same blood test he failed and test it again. Get this. The appeal test will take anywhere from one to six months to know the results. Yet they knew the results from the first test not long after the race. Just go to Life Labs. They'll get it for you fast. If he uh, fails the second test... He'll be disqualified from winning the Kentucky Derby. All right, second round of the uh, AT&T Byron Nelson from Texas. And Sam Burns had the low round of the day. On the 17th, his tee shot, well, that's about three feet away. He makes that. He goes to 16 under, 9 under for the day. Then at 18, he's not done showing off. Third shot in the par 5. This one to two feet away, kicks in that birdie is 10th of the day. Shoots a career low, uh, 62, has a lead at minus 17. Roger Sloan of Mare had a good, uh, good couple of days to start this tournament. He's tied for 12th at minus 10, but when he was doing something good, the cameraman was having lunch, so we have no footage. Sorry. <laughs> we'll take that your word for it. That's okay. such a fun tournament, too. Good party atmosphere there. Thanks, All right, Squire. thanks, Squire. All right, we're back with Satellite Debris next. So if I don't know if this happens to you, sometimes people will ask me, what is satellite debris? And I always say, it's the bomb. And, <laughs> and tonight it really is. It defies definition, really. Yeah, that's right. Well, you're right about this first one. This is rather dark humor from uh, the Mac people. Clean my Mac commercial. Here we go. Okay, Bucky, it's a T4 series. Six, 800 NPR. I have a, a red, a blue, and a green. Roger that, Jack. Downloading the manual. <laughs> oh, that's a big boy file. Huh? Uh, I need to delete some wedding photos to manage that. You need to what? Which one? Hey, you guys. Help, please. You let the whole last slim in the one on the left. Which left? Yeah. Thanks, Sam. What the hell is going on? Just give me two seconds. We don't have two seconds! Which one? Almost there. I'm going with the blue one. Dark. When they cut that wire, it's okay, but not in that case. <laughs> 
Do you remember back, I, 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 the other day there was that video of the woman who jumped off the air, the hot air balloon. Did you see that? Yeah. Okay. But that reminded me of this from 2015. I just want to show it to you again. Lasso Schaller, this was in Switzerland. And this was a cliff jump world record, I think, of 193 feet. Here we go. I just wanted to see nope. that again. Nope. No, me neither. No, I don't. Straight nope. Okay, so Pepsi has a commercial here about what life is like when COVID is all over and we can all go back to normal. And when you think about it, what we used to do is kind of gross. Here we go. We go back to that, I wonder. Unfathomable right now. Thanks very much for that, Squire, and thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the sunshine, everyone. Mm-hmm.